Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the American Rugby Show. I am one of your hosts, Alex Corpusero, joined by the most capped USA Rugby Eagle in history, Todd Clever. This is the MLR Breakdown. Welcome back. And uh, Todd, what a weekend it's been. Fourth of July has come and gone, but the rugby news and all the buzz just keeps continuing on this, uh, on this Monday afternoon as we uh, check in. My plate is full, and I'm loving it. I mean, we have international rugby. We have the British and Irish Lions Tour going down to South Africa. We have MLR. We had upsets. We had great plays. Um, man, I was happy. I mean, overall, I mean, let's – I don't know where to start. Let, let's so, start MLR. Yeah, so much to talk about. Let's quickly react to the weekend. And I think if you're looking at this weekend, the two shock results are New York losing – like into the free jacks, putting the East Coast up for grabs, you're thinking potentially, but then you're going, oh, Nola still have to play LA. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a stretch if they're going to make this interesting. Wait a minute. Nola with an absolute gutsy last minute comeback win to take the win. First team to ever beat the Giltinis at the Coliseum, missing eight or nine internationals. Shocking scenes from an LA point of view, but what a way to set this league on fire and bring the buzz coming this Monday. No, without a doubt. I mean, let's. Uh, I mean, let's jump straight into it. I mean, this is uh, this is what people want to know. People don't want to talk about our, you know, the sunny days in California, the wet weather on the East Coast, this kind of thing. We don't have Hoadley. If Hodes was here, he'd be talking about what a brilliant game that New York was with kicking and possession and <laughs> mud and even though it was on turf, there's mud and this is what you do. Now we get to talk about the fun stuff. Thankfully, no, Matt. I think we got to look at it. You know, from Right now, if I'm looking at the MLR standings, what a run-in that we have in store for us here. LA are sitting atop of the standings on 56. Every team has played 14 now, but then you've got Atlanta and Utah both on 51. The AGs are on 46. They are a bonus point win behind Utah. And then NOLA have somehow overtaken Rooney, even though they're both on 46, it, it, it's wide open now. And as we get to this run of the last two games of the season, there is so much to play for, so much at stakes. Teams that maybe thought they could coast into the run-in have got to go for broke. And I think that's the talking point now is the spice in the MLR. But before we get to the actual breakdowns, Todds, I wanted to touch on the USA and Canada games, probably more the USA game than Canada. We're on flow this weekend for everyone to watch. You can still go back and check them out as well if you want to catch up with it. But how about we start with the Eagles first? A very competitive performance, all things considered, with a short period of time with the run-in, playing England at Twickenham, two training sessions to get get things right on the field, and a last-minute injury by Hooley thrown in there. So it was a late background shuffle, a backline shuffle. You know, had all the sort of spanners in the works thrown at them, but somehow, especially in that second half, really managed to put a uh, respectable performance together. No, unbelievable. I mean, that's when you have to dig deep and, you know, you have to go for the leadership. And, you know, Bryce took on that captaincy with, with, with great poise and uh, lead, led the boys well. I mean, you know, a couple of months ago or a few weeks, matter of weeks ago, we were expecting, you know, sort of A.J. McGinty to be captaining the side and knowing those players in and out, 
playing uh, playing in Premiership, but uh, an injury there. Then we had another injury. Bryce is wearing that uh, that that captain's band. He did a great job, and you know all credit to the, those men that that went out there. I mean, they were definitely up against it. You know, from quarantine to you know long flights, playing game, a couple training sessions, as you mentioned, and going out there against you know the third ranked. Uh, team in the world, you know, Eddie Jones. So obviously they had a lot of mix up, a lot of things like that. And I'm sure you can touch on that more, but uh, he's in rebuilding, but you know, if Eddie has a, a grip on you, you know what, you're going to put your best foot forward. You're going to, he's going to get the best Eddie some way. And, uh, you know, credit to Gary Gold, you know, and, and Hodes, shout out to our boy, uh, to, to really making, making that happen. And second half, we beat England in the second half. I mean, I know it's not, I know it's a game of two halves, but I mean, how good is that? It, it was good, mate, because it could have gone completely the other way. If you look at the the Wales Canada game, it was you know very one sided, you know a formality for Wales, and you know not a lot of competitiveness throughout the court of the game. Look back at the U.S. game, very different picture. I think early on, um, you know, U.S. actually looked to kick well. I thought uh, Brocky at 15 was doing a great job under the high ball, his kicking game, a late change there. What a player for, for the U.S. to have in that position. Early on, though, I thought England, you know, just it was too easy at times for them. You know, they're going to score tries with quick ball with a player out there. I think the scrum, they really turned a screw at. I thought the line out was very, very competitive from the U.S. with the players they had, you know, Saveda, Peterson in the row with Saveda, then Brakely coming on there. I thought they handled England reasonably well there. And at the mall, they actually got two tries from the mall. So you really got to credit that from United States point of view. The scrum, they were under pressure, though. Um, you know, the, the, the screw was turned there. You know, I kept thinking, what if a TT Lamasatelli was in the side? Would that have been enough to hold out there? Because with Genge and, and Co., it gave them a, a lot of ins to the game and put US under pressure, disrupted some of their platforms. Definitely a frustrating factor there. But I think the ability in the second half to hold possession to play in the right areas, to score tries, to move the ball, to look dangerous off counter. Like These are things in the World Cup that were screaming for the US to happen, and it wasn't. And for me, I can't help but think this is part of the MLR effect. Yes, there's big players on top of the MLR players who fronted up when the US needed them and, and are playing overseas, and the US are very lucky to have those operators in, in key positions. But just the whole competitiveness of the squad, the ability to be in-season, playing rugby, all of that carried over, and I was actually really proud of that second half, and it gives them a lot to build on before they play Ireland, and also, you know, it, it, it's just promising in the big picture that in a short period of time, we could get that sort of product with the on-field quality. And you know what? That's a feather in the cap from MLR. I mean, those players, obviously, it's going to hurt us for the next couple of weeks of missing our top players for international duty. But you know what? We should take that. MLR uh, should take that as a, as a pride, you know, a feather in the cap of being, you know what? We're getting our boys ready to play against guys, you know, some of the best in the world. So I think it's fantastic. I think the only negative of the weekend, and I hate to be uh, Debbie Downer on this one, I, I got a little vocal on it on Twitter as well because it is something that's very important to my heart, is just the fact that the games are on flow. And this USA Rugby flow deal, which extends, I think, to 2024, it, it, with all the positive talk of a home World Cup, with the MLR sort of, you know, soaring, with rugby at an all-time sort of, you know, high for its exposure in the U.S., it breaks my heart 
to see that the Eagles sort of held onto this flow. And I don't credit, I don't like hate against flow. They bought those rights. They have them. They put them on a service where you can watch it. It's very well. The issue is the limitedness of that audience. And when you look at US rugby and what they need, they need growth. If you want to have commercial partners behind a World Cup, you need exposure and growth. If no one sees you in a four-year World Cup cycle, how are you then supposed to market yourself when the World Cup comes? I think those two things need to align in the future because it also handcuffs USA Rugby from a sponsorship point of view how do you make commercial dollars if no one sees your sees your brand in your home market you're just you're just relying on international brands that want the international recognition because that game's seen on channel four in in England but in the US you're getting no exposure there and I think these are things the reason I bring it up on Twitter it needs to change in the long run like a few people are saying oh new things about to be announced with the flow deal with potential broadcast you know options for these games well, get it fucking done then. Like, I'm sorry. I hate being angry, but like, I've heard that since like 2017, 2018 when this deal was going on. And I know they had the bankruptcy and the breakdown, but it's got to fix in the long run for things to get better. People have to be able to watch those Eagles. They just absolutely threw their heart out in that second half against England. And like, just imagine on 4th of July selling that to a big audience. It just seems a missed opportunity. I do think obviously with the bankruptcy, it will hopefully change more in the long run as they have more time to get things done. But I feel like as someone who's very invested in the media and the broadcasting in the US, and some people might get say, oh, he's biased with NBC. I don't care what major network would have it. I just want it on a big bro- uh, on a big viewable channel that it can be seen and have the exposure that needs to be done. And it, it is something that has to change. And it's why I fully credit the MLR, who at the moment don't have a big sort of money broadcast deal they're funding it themselves but they're funding it to put it on big mainstream channels like fs1 cbs sports network the final's going to be on uh, cbs like these are the things that actually gain growth for the sport and i think it needs to happen more and i'm gonna try and calm down now and this rant I'm, I'm, I'm just, and pass I'm, I'm the mic back to todd but i had to get it out it's been bubbling me all fourth of july weekend buddy go grab yourself a cold gillies take a nice sip it's gonna be okay but i'm with you i can't agree more especially because i'm in the market of selling rugby telling teaching people rugby you know if it's parents if it's sponsors if it's cities if it's everything else and if it's once it's behind you know a couple clicks on a computer you're you, we're, we're done and it, especially if it's behind a paywall, yeah. then we're really done. A steep so, paywall as well for, for what it is. Yeah. It's, t- it's hard yeah, to I say, know. but it is. Hey, I, hey, you didn't finish your gillies yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the thing. I mean, that's where it is. I mean, that, the, the rugby network, you know, online, that is brilliant. You know, what they're doing for rugby, I can send a quick link to somebody that doesn't know anything about it, introduce the sport, and it's there right in front of their, you know, on their smart TV, on their tablet, on their phone, on their computer, whatever else. That's not the case to watch our own national team. And that is criminal. I definitely agree with you on that. But we got to keep moving on yeah. because come it's on. Time, time to park all the frustrations. Or maybe it's just the LA loss yesterday, which got me real G'd up. Who knows? And it's all snowballed into one. It's time to park the frustrations for me anyway. Because uh, Todd, it is time for the round 16 MLR breakdown. And now a word from our sponsor, Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. 
Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbooks experts. San Diego hosting Seattle, the biggest MLO rivalry to date. Um, this year obviously has some changes to it, but the uh, game was played in Chula Vista. Unfortunately, not in front of a lot of fans because uh, they couldn't get the stadium, I guess that was the case. But they definitely missed out because San Diego came out on fire, getting a big lead, 31-7. to um, That was a halftime score. Seattle did climb back in, made it a game. Was it going to be enough, 31-21 to coming through? But uh, the final score, 34-21 to to San Diego. I mean, what are your thoughts on the, on the Legion boys? Listen, when the Legion boys turn it on, they look pretty sharp and efficient. I think that first half, if you look, you know, the the Malcolm try comes from the drive. When they're down in the 22, San Diego look very, very dangerous. Comes from the drive. You know, the Madius try, it's down in the 22 again. Nice little... Which one? Oh, the first Madius try. Yeah, Yeah, let's shout out. They're very true. Let's give some love for our boy Ryan Madius. Two tries. Great to see him making a start. Hopefully people like Gary Gold will take notice of that because I know he is desperate to put his hand up for the Eagles as well. And then, yeah, so the first try comes off a, a paddy nice overs carry line. Just gets quick ball. They look like they're dummying the forwards around the corner again because you've got to respect the big pull carriers of San Diego. They just play out the back. They don't even play through that. They play behind it. Expose the space out wide. Lovely ball from Cecil to put him away. And and that was a try. And that's what I talk about. Sometimes they just made it look too easy. They got the four tries very early. Um, the Zarconi try, again, very similar in the 22 and exposing space on the outside. They've got ball carriers. They've got pace on the wings. They They know how to sort of use it when they get to the 22. And the try that got them the bonus point, which is finished by Zarconi, is actually, it comes from a box kick, Legion 101, kick to compete. Um, Seattle look like they deal with it well. JP Smith puts a long pass in. It goes over Alatimo. Legion regather. And Ryan Mattias, the poacher, gets over for his trek and try. And that was sort of the the game done, you thought. Bonus point win, 20-odd minutes into it. Actually, then San Diego get another one, which came off a quick tap from a scrum penalty. Orsberger coming to life. They they move it, Lutz. And and I believe Cam, uh, Cam Clark finishes that one. And, and that sort of Legion ball, transition attack, pressure in the 22. But then for the rest of the game, Todd, they did nothing. They defended. They allowed Seattle to come at them. Seattle, if Seattle's error count was anywhere in a reasonable level, I still think they could have won that game with the amount of opportunities they had in that second half. Like, I was screaming, if you're Legion, it was very similar to watching LA play Seattle last week, get the job done at halftime, completely switch off in the second half and allow Seattle opportunities. And really, it was only Seattle who shot himself in the foot this week, obviously missing some players, few changes, but they'll be gutted as well because they almost dogged it out and pulled it back in late because Legion didn't look like they had much oomph at the end of the game. They'd sort of checked out. And 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 this is where it is. With Legion, they sit in their 22. They sit in their half. They're happy to defend. They're happy to just wait it out. But if a team can actually turn that into points, they would be in trouble. And I think that's what LA showed when they went down there, that if they sit back the whole game and a team takes it to them, they can lose a game that way. Seattle almost showed that in the second half. But you've got to credit Legion with the win. And, you know, it's kind of capping off, which has been a... 
a tough season for Legion. You know, finishing the game at, at the Olympic uh, Center as well down in Chula Vista, not at Torero, a sign that the, sort of this season is winding down. They have one more game on the road uh, to Old Glory. There's a send-off or whatever for that group. But that group seems to be a little bit checked out and done. It was nice seeing them to get the win at home. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big questions, uh, you know, locally, world, uh, nationwide is, you know, what kind of changes are they going to bring in? Is it going to be personnel? Is it going to be player leadership? Is it going to be players in depth? Is it going to be coaching? Uh, you know, executives, what, uh, what do you, you have anything on, uh, on top of your head or anything? I, I got no ins. I got no inside knowledge or anything, but just if you look at the outside in, how maybe that ownership group has responded to poor results or, or, you know, not the results they wanted before, there's usually been change. So my instinct is, it's it's heartbreaking to potentially see there is a strong chance that if the ownership is not happy with that coaching staff, there could be, uh, you know, change across the board. I wouldn't like to, I don't want to see that. I like both coaches there. I think they're great coaches. We've discussed in depth this season why I think they had a lot on their plate and it was an uphill battle for them from the start. But at the same time, it definitely could happen. If they got rid of Hoadley after a 5-0 season, you know, that just kind of says it all to me now is that this season I could see a lot of change. I hope not, but I could see it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, wonder, uh, you know, obviously Eng England uh, head coach Eddie Jones has some has his name around there. I don't think he's going to come over. And, and he's It's been pretty but... quiet, Eddie, hasn't he, Todd? I, you know, we, we got this big – that was the big – uh, sorry, I laugh. It shouldn't, it's not as funny, but that was the big sort of news story. As you got rid of Hoadley, oh, they're bringing Eddie Jones in as a consultant. And listen, I know Eddie Jones in the preseason and in the time before had a lot of coach coaching with the coaching group. But the Eddie Jones replacement as a consultant for your coaches is not the answer to getting rid of your head coach and not replacing him. And, and that sort of led to this position. And that's why I, I do think it's kind of sad that if the coaches go, it's because of that and not, hey, we actually need to bring in another, a real head coach full time here and keep the continuity because a lot of good stuff for what we do on the field and just tighten it down and, and elevate it and recruit well for next year. No, as you said, I mean, the, you know, with two assistant coaches, didn't, didn't, you know, give one of them the head coach and the other a state assistant. You gave a co-co head coaching job. I mean, that's almost like, you know, at, at this level, it's kind of like, okay, let's have a player head coach yeah. as well. Or let's have a player director of rugby and play, you know, this, this these is... sort of things. I mean, you you just can't do it. I, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, I mean, you you want to have controversy, but you also need a head of, head of uh, you know, who's going to spearhead that. You need someone on top, but then you can't also, you can't also expect people to replace the guy on top and still do the jobs that they needed to do underneath that person. And I think that in a nutshell is what happened there. Um, while we're touching on the Chula Vista game, the only other motion of note was the one and only Avi Gostaitis, obviously pitch side reporting down there, uh, doing a fantastic job, but also crushing it on the reels where she took one, one to the dome. I don't know if you've actually seen on Instagram, but check out at A-Town1022 on Instagram and you will see uh, a mic headshot as an epic fail and and i do feel bad for the the young lad at the legion he's probably supposed to be holding that you know he's trying his best here it's windy a split second gets away from him but that's the internet uh, for you the internet wins uh, over and over again I'm, I'm just glad that it was captured because i saw it on her instagram and and uh, i'm just making sure she's okay for uh for tokyo yeah so you know congratulations Abby. exactly you, you know she i i, I can <laughs> confirm she is okay after this <laughs> 
Toronto hosting the OGs in obviously their home, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, it's been a tough, tough uh, run for Toronto. And, you know, with this uh, podcast, we've always been wanting them to, you know, turn around. Uh, you know, they, they stacked, the, the chips were stacked against them. I mean, America's birthday come from the capital of uh, America, D.C., coming in. And uh, they came out on fire. Went up 14-3 in the first 30 minutes. Uh, you're just like hanging their head down low. But uh, Toronto had different things. I mean, obviously they're missing all their Canadian guys. They're missing their internationals. But uh, those guys stepped up and they came back. And they came back and won and scored some brilliant team tries, brilliant individual tries. And uh, I mean, 34 to 28, 28, Toronto took the victory. Corbs, how good was that? So good, mate. So good. And, you know, there's got to be something with this. You know, don't write the guys off when the internationals are away and the guys have been training and waiting for their big opportunity all year and, wanna, and the team needs, you know, want to carry on or, or needs to win. And, and those boys, the backup guys, turn it on. And I think, you know, credit Toronto showing some depth and showing some resolve not to wilt when you've been on the road all year and you've lost a load of games and you've been struggling for form. A lot of your big starters are away. You go a couple tries down. It's easy to roll over and turn away, but I think that they got straight back into the game and uh, and you know credit them there if you look at the tries from old glory uh, the first try scored by uh, robert sanana is sensational little try it's actually a quick line out from og so toronto sort of you know they catch them cold so it gives them a bit more time because toronto's line speed is a second behind that allows robertson to put the chip over which robert sanana gathers perfectly and then from there it's a beautiful individual sort of finish i think the reason that space is there is because the quick line out it meant that they're rushing up late gives a 10 time but also means the line speed is flying up late which then creates more space behind for that kick and it's a great finish there then the next try comes off a, a, a front peel from from the ogs which you know if i'm honest i thought that toronto was slow to react to there i think it was very easily telegraphed five man lift at the front the back two guys coming round. you think that some sort of shift on the inside like to that sort of short side has got to happen so you give yourself an extra defender a reaction to deal with that but all of a sudden you're 14-3 down question that i'm going to interrupt you on that just as a technical thing, I know they have that on, in the trams. They had that wing. If Ford come around peeling, you know, a wing 99.8% of the time is not going to stop that. Would you have a forward, you know, yes, station there? 100%. I would have a forward in the channel on the goal line. And I would definitely have shifted, so, like, as they're coming around with that peel. I know it's a five man, so the forwards in the line are worried about what shifting around because then they're really exposed on the short side. But I just feel like someone's got to fold on that inside, push a man out, and you probably get that guy into touch instead of the try. And I think that's just, you know, as a prop that was constantly stuck in that back or front of the line out, reading the numbers, worrying about over committing or under committing. Maybe that's just because I'm always looking at that. But I just felt like you miss a trick there. You, it was so easily telegraphed that you should have reacted a little bit sooner there. But I mean, it's, it, it came right off the right off the training uh, tra training ground and into pads sort of thing. I mean, it's you don't get it easy, easier than that. But well exactly. Done and then, you know, talking of Toronto and depth and, and guys standing up, what about Ferguson? You know, he scores... The first try uh, for Toronto gets them on the board. They had a mall, pick and go, crafty little nine gets over, scores the try. But then 55 minutes in and Todd, 
This happens to be the Gillies try of the week. Andrew Ferguson from Toronto. He's at the line out. He actually gets scrappy ball off the top of the line out. What that means is instead he dummies the pass and then he does the hooker and the tight head because the five-man line out from OGs does them, goes through the line, absolutely individual brilliance, chips it over, and then you think Tusitala's beat him in the foot race, but because Tusitala sort of slows up there to gather to try and catch the ball, Ferguson commits at full speed, gathers it in an instant, and scores the try. Toronto Arrows, Adam Ferguson, take a bow, because that is this week's Gillies try of the week. Yep. Then you had tries from Detroit, and then you had a lovely line from Sam Malcolm where he finishes off from the offload from Detroit. Again, that is Toronto Arrows at their best, keeping the ball alive, shapes, opportunities, and what a way to dig themselves out of a game to get the win, to you know galvanize the squad. They've got one more game left, I believe, in this season, and, and then they get to put it to rest. But, you know, OGs will, will want to sort of come back. They've got San Diego at home. Uh, next week in their last game, they'll they'll want to sort of end this losing skid. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hope uh, I hope the the ownership and the coaches and management really enjoyed that victory, and hopefully they can get a, you know another uh, another game because you know you want to end a tough tough season for them on a high, and uh, you know th that win right there definitely uh, you know puts more wind in their sail. And hopefully it gives them, you know, that confidence whenever they go into the next season, prepare and the world is back to normal so they can actually spend time with their families, sleep in their own beds and uh, have their own home uh, home crowd. New England host to New York. Another close, good rivalry that's uh, that's building quite nice for the Major League Rugby. And it was in uh, typical East Coast winter, you know, storm, wet, rainy, windy, um, Scoreline 0-0, 35 minutes in. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of like, what kind of game is going to come out of this? No way no one's coming out of a bonus point win, that's for sure. <laughs> Wait a second. New England Free Jacks beg the differ. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, obviously we're going to go into it. They score a brilliant, brilliant team effort try in the 85th minute to secure that bonus point, five-point uh Victory over New York, but uh, Corbs, I know you have a lot to say in between that 35th and 30, 85th minute. Uh, exactly. Let's forget the first 35 minutes or so of the game. And it was a you know heavy rain tussle. I thought the Free Jacks were winning a lot of the exchanges, controlling uh, possession, territory, um, you know, where like playing their sort of game, but just weather, inability to score. There was a nice line break, I think, off a kick return from Waka early in the first half, which maybe would have been their big moment to score. They didn't take it. But then 35 minutes comes along and they get the first try with Danny Wilson and it's in the rain, pick and go. They finally go out from the backs. I, I like the flash call when they did it and, you know, Lovely hams from Fife there with the quick tap, tap pass to it. You know, he does get ended by Thakobalavu afterwards, but that put Wilson away. And, you know, fair play for that first try in the rain. Wilson had a fair bit to do to finish that. So I really credit that try. And, you know, then, you know, New York never really fired shots in this game. I never felt like they were, you know, really in it. You know, no Ellis, Hollingshead um, back in the mix eventually. But at the same time, I, I just felt like New York were a little bit lacking, missing, you know, Savetta and Brakely in the row, I think as well, sort of in a tough, wet game, probably hurt their drive, their line out, their set piece a little bit, which is a strength of theirs. 
But then, you know, credit the the Free Jacks for the tries they scored. You know, four tries in that weather. You know, one, that's a, you know, a fabulous sort of feather in the cap as it is. The way these tries were scored as well. You know, there is a seam here that we know, similar to Atlanta, they love to use the sort of kicking game to, you know, to attack as well. And it was, you know, the balls and the grubbers from behind from Waka, which was a difference between the two sides. If you look at the, the first one that was scored, that was from the 12. It all comes from they're going around the corner, looking like they're picking going, going tight that way. All of a sudden, they play to the nine, uh, you know, play to the nine from the base of the ruck. He then switches play back. Back to the 10. That means they've sort of caught the line speed out from New York as well. McManus, who's supposed to be sweeping, is on that short side because he thinks it's going the same way. He's got a fair bit of distance to cover. That's when Waka puts that lovely ball in under the sticks. And it's um, the number 12 who gets on it. McManus tries to act like he got it down, but referee didn't buy it. And that was the try. And then <laughs> I thought that was a lovely little grubber in the rain on turf. But then the next try that Harry Barlow scores, Waka's ball across. I think it comes off a turnover. New York in around their own 22, turn the ball over. Free Jacks play the ball. Wacker on that diagonal grubber. It's almost like a cross field. And the way he keeps it down from not kicking up, where it has like the double spin where it stays low, reaches Barlow perfectly. He slides over there. And that really was the game. And then all of a sudden, New York are chasing for the bonus point to try and salvage something because they realize, you know, they've had an absolute shocker here with the way that the, the league's going. And that caused them to sort of overplay a bit. And it was actually, you know, the Free Jacks who keep it alive, keep the ball in play and score, like you said, Todd, in the 84th minute and get the W and get the bonus point. And, you know, that's a massive feather and cap for the Free Jacks. Oh, I mean, you know, it could have been so easy to just kick it out of bounds, get come away with a victory with four points. But, I mean, for everybody to be on that same page and, and, and you know what, they know what they needed to do. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, they were happy. They were almost, they were almost as happy as New Orleans watching that game. <laughs> exactly. New Orleans, you know, Free Jacks got me thinking, lads, if we beat the NOLA last week, we, we would have been... You know, we would have been the ones in here. So they'll obviously be gutted. But the fact that they opened the door for Nola against their sort of big New York rivals, that New York-Boston rivalry, I'm sure was an extra little boost for them as well. Giltinis hosting Nola Gold at the LA Memorial Coliseum. Stage was set 4th of July, 7 p.m. kickoff. Fireworks ordered for afterwards. I mean, all we were missing it was some brilliant, brilliant tries. But... The game went exactly how Nola wanted it. They wanted it low scoring-ish, you know, as, as much as you can. Big hits, turn them over, cause a lot of that, play in their end, pressure. And uh, Nola came away with the upset. And, I mean, I'm looking at it and uh, upset of the year, upset of MLR, you know, history of the, this. I mean, it was an upset. They, uh, you know, missing a lot of their players. And like you said earlier in the show, it's people that have been training, people that know the system, people that are, you know, just give me this opportunity, give me this chance. And uh, they played against, you know, a great L.A. team, took it to them, got the victory. First team to do so. I mean, Corbs, you know, jump in if, 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 if you can talk. If you're not <laughs> I'm trying, mate. Me. I'm trying. I'm still wounded emotionally after watching that. And first, I want to start it by congratulations to Nola Gold. That was a gritty win team effort one through 23 digging in you could see it turning from the beginning of the 
of the of the se- of the second half, I was starting to get worried, and you could see the sort of tide turning a little bit, and the complacency of LA, and you know, to take their opportunities at the end, to be you know a, a team that you know has, has taken this sort of never say die backs against the wall every game, six road game run in, and they've knocked off four of them or whatever it is in a row. Uh, with wins and miss one missing big personnel and continuing that sort of backs against the wall mentality. You can't ride it. It's one of the beauty of sports. Love to see them celebrating at the end. You know how much that means to them. And then for LA, I hope this is a massive wake-up call because complacency had definitely kicked in. I think the first half, if you look at it, LA did enough to win. Controlled majority of the game, set-piece was functioning, scored two tries. They weren't the flashes of tries, but they just got you know the 14-point sort of buffer that LA needed. I think the first one was Dave Dennis. Cottrell within an inch of the line with the pick-and-go. Dave Dennis finishes it off. The next one comes from uh, the tight-head Marco. Overthrow at the line-out. Sean McNulty... Uh, gathers, charges to the line, and and Marco, uh, with a latch from Dave Dennis, gets over and scores the try. And that was really it from LA. Like, there was some nice moments of defense at times. But then really, if you look at the game, it's the turnover rate. It's the errors. It's the disrespecting of the possessions that you had. And I think a mindset of just expecting to win, which really came back to bite them in this game. Because you just can't turn over the ball that long and think we're just going to defend in our, in our third this whole game and still have the right to win. If Nola could kick their goals, that game would have turned the tide a lot sooner because they were just chipping away penalties. LA were defending. And that kind of gave LA a bit of a comfort thinking they could handle these moments. But instead... You know, all of a sudden, the tide just kept starting to turn, kept starting to turn. LA would have a little wake-up call, get down there, but didn't quite finish off the try. We'd get a three points or something. But really, it was the Nola tries. The first one by uh, Tiki Asuva, you know, comes off a scrum. Lovely carry. I believe it's from Dirksen or whoever gets out there. And then just sloppy to not check that that ball's on the ground. Looking at the ref to see if it's held up. Quick transfer. He's under the sticks. You're thinking, all right, wake up, LA now. Wake up have a little bit of a moment of wake up and then they went back to that sort of complacency, turning over the ball, putting themselves under pressure. They get the penalty. I think that gives them, you think it's enough breathing room to see the game out. And then you're like, all you have to do is now stop four points ahead, stop Nola from scoring to win the game. And Nola come alive, front foot gain line, front foot gain line, front foot gain line. You're just there going, you know what's about to happen. They're inches from the line. The way they resource their backs out, so there's multiple numbers out there off a pick and go. It's almost impossible to defend. And Dirksen goes over, and that is a history-making try in MLR because that's the first time the Giltinis have been defeated at the Coliseum. It's the first time you can say a team, maybe, well, actually, I'd say the Atlanta game, you say they deserve to win, but there was a red card mitigating. The New York wasn't quite. That game at the Coliseum, missing those players, no mitigating circumstances. Give that to Nola. That is the true feather in the cap. Said that enough times this show, but that really is. And, you know, hate to hate on my guillotinis, but at the same time, I'm going to let them know when it comes to my reviews that they need to step it up. I don't think anyone is under illusion that that's good enough. I'm glad it happened now instead of in a playoff game. But at the same time, that has to change. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to be sidelined, you know, doing the reporting. And, uh, you know, you felt the tide change. And it was crazy, even just after the three points. And then you see this try. And then you're just like, whoa, these guys are up for it. 
And uh, you know what? They had backing. And they had people travel from New Orleans. They had a good little yeah. cheer section, which was awesome. Obviously, with JoJo uh, family from California, uh, you know, uh, the players, that, that was it was great to see, you know. Um, so all in all, what a victory that, uh, that they put together. Yeah, really, we, really uh, impressive victory. And I think, you know, Nola, you look at them. Of all the teams that are going to have to go to the deepest well, this is one of the teams that is best prepared for it. They have a squad that trains outside of the MLR season, trains together. I think their COVID regulations were more relaxed too, so they could have games, uh, you know, in the autumn as well. They have a deep train uh, training sort of pool of players. And that's what you get when you get, you know, internationals away. These guys who've been in it around it step up and the machine keeps rolling. I love it. Credit Nola. This week's American Rugby Show was brought to you by Gilly's Legendary Lager. A lager this crushable doesn't come around that often. Let's find out. I stand by that statement. MLR preview of week 17. This coming weekend, it's coming down to it. Last two rounds of MLR action, and we got a full pack of six games ahead of us. So let's, uh, let's check out what we got. We got Houston traveling to New York. I mean, do we need to talk about this much? <laughs> I think New York, after a, a shock loss and you know wake up call to them in the east that nola are coming it seems like they've been gifted a layup at home hate to be harsh to houston but based on the results that's that's how it is and you know from a new york point of view they're just going to want to get all their best players back on the field ready for the playoffs they're going to get the win i believe um and and then i think it's you know when they get Saveda back they get breakley back um they you know they, they need that engine room that's a big part of their game you know andy ellis when is he back Foden took a knock to the eye, so keep an eye on him being fit this week. He's a vital player for them, and I think he's really stepped up with into a leadership role in that back line while some of the uh, more experienced veterans have been away. So for me, this is New York. Get the W. They should hopefully get the bonus point and just regrouping to have their best pieces loaded for the playoffs. Next game, we have San Diego traveling across the country to Old Glory, to D.C., nation's capital, Legion, going east. What are your thoughts? You know, this is a tough one to call. Uh, you know, if you'd asked me in regular season time or in the last couple of weeks, I would have favored San Diego. I think they have a, the team that could go there. But traveling the East Coast is a lot to ask of any team at the moment. And then I think there's a company with, you know, they had their last game in, in San Diego. They had a, you know, a send-off. Um, I know they had some beers as a team afterwards. Like, is that their, their finale to their season? And is this Old Glory's finale? Old Glory, a team that, you know, every game they play, 60, 78% of the game, they're looking pretty good, but they're on the losing side of a lot of these results. But they're scoring tries, um, and I think they're at home, and they want to finish on a high. I'm going to go with OG getting the win and finishing on a uh, high, Todd. I'm putting myself out there. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, I know Hodes would be saying, oh, so they're already on the beach, you know, I'm <laughs> I got that. I think, mean, yeah, too many Legion lagers this week, uh, slowing them down, and uh, and the old glory get the W. Next game, Austin AGs traveling west 
to the L.A. Guiltinis <laughs> at the Coliseum. I mean, you know what? What's going on? What are your thoughts on this one? This game is massive. This game is massive. Not only for L.A. needing to bounce back after a terrible performance against NOLA and tightening up of the, the standings and the top seed being very much in jeopardy, but then add that to the fact that the Gilgronies need to win. Utah are playing Atlanta. Gilgronies, if they can pull it out and do it, uh, do it, Nola did, this is their opportunity to catapult themselves into the playoffs on the West. So if I'm Gilgronies, I'm going balls to the walls in this game to try and get the win. And I, I think it's a tussle of a game. I think... I honestly think LA will, will be back to their best. I think that's the wake-up call they'll need. I think the set piece, there's some players to come back. Um, you're going to see an uptick in performance. But Austin, they hold the ball. They grind you out. They keep you down in the 22. Um, no Dahas, which is going to hurt them because I thought he was looking good in that San Diego game. But they've had a bye week. They've had time to regroup. And they've had time to specifically plan for LA. And that's the worrying thing from an LA point of view is you've been focusing on Nola. You've just got this Nola blit, like shock loss out of the way. You've got a short, short turnaround to prepare for uh, Austin. That is the worry for me. I think Austin are going to empty the tank. And if Giltinis are at their best, I think they get the win. But for some reason, if they're not, this could be another tough game at home because the league is really heating up and every team is fighting for the last breath to make the playoffs. And you never want to lose your old No, brother. the Gilcrest, the Gilly Cup, brother. the Gilcrest banter. Like, I, I, I think LA will be back uh, firing like we, we've seen them. But at the same time, you know, Gil, Gil Groney's a good, McCaffrey at eight is a, is a great player to add into their team as well. Score tries, make things happen. That was probably the last wrinkle that was missing in their team this season, although only area you can really be critical of them is sometimes their lack of conversion of tries for the possession and time they spend in an opposition 22. I feel like they're fixing that week on week, and I feel like this can be a tough game. Next game, we have Atlanta traveling to Utah. Man, this is a big one. Atlanta's going to want to keep their top spot. Utah's want to keep their playoff, uh, you know, hopes alive. I mean, they're in second place. They want to keep that going uh, or maybe even to overtake it. I mean, what uh, what are your thoughts? They're missing the Eagles. They're missing a few of their guys, their, their main guys. Luckily, they had a bye this last week. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this one? Another enormous game in the MRR playoff landscape. And this one again, could go either way. I think, you know, you've got to look that Utah, no Cruze, no Teo and, and Basca, Mullen. You know, there's some there's some of their depth that's been raided. So that immediately turns the favor potentially to Atlanta. I think you know what you're going to get with them. I think the thing that's exciting about this matchup is both teams have had a bye. So they've both had time to prepare, to rest, to be right. I think the set piece will dictate a lot of it because usually Utah's set piece is pretty strong. Missing, um, you know, a couple pieces. Atlanta is always strong. They come at you. They'll kick. They'll pressure. They'll maul. They'll go at you direct in the 22. That is the question mark for me. Can Utah, you know, without their best pieces on the field, withstand that storm and that game that Atlanta are going to throw at them? If they can and they can find a way to win collisions, get on the front foot, which is very hard to do against Atlanta, I think they'll score tries. I think they're at home. I think they'll be a belief in the altitude. And I just think I'm going to go out on a limb and say Utah find a way to get the W. I'm so torn on this one. I think Atlanta should be favorites, but I'm picking Utah. 
What what minute do they win the game in? Last minute, altitude, <laughs> lung burster, fashion. They find a way to, to roll over and get the try. You know what? They're going to need that whole crowd. And they have a great crowd. They have a great uh, great system behind them. So, you know what? I'm, they can't fight them off. All right. Next game, we're talking New England traveling to Atlanta to play against Toronto. Toronto's home. What are your thoughts? Can Toronto keep that going? Or what are, your, what, what are you thinking on this one? <laughs> Yeah, I think New England get this job done. Uh, I think, obviously, they'll have the boost of the win last week. Want to finish in, a, in good stead. Uh, they are out of the playoff race, I believe. But, you know, they're not far out. So they'll want to finish, you know, as best they can. And, and I think they match up quite well against Toronto. I think... Um, you know their their defense, their structure, uh, the way they play will you know will will put them in good stead to cope with a lot of the threats of Toronto, especially de- a depleted Toronto, um, who'll probably still be celebrating after that win last week anyway because they deserve it. So I'm going to go with a free Jacks uh, W at home. Good man. The last game of this round, we have the Nola. The road beaters, is that what they call themselves? I mean, road kill. I mean, they, these guys are, are, are amazing. They're staying on the West Coast, traveling up to Seattle. Thoughts on that? I mean, improve, yeah, also brilliance of Seattle, but is it going to be enough? Have they already written their season off? Nola is desperate. They, they, taste, they taste that playoff. They taste it right now. Listen, what are your thoughts? Listen, Seattle are beating down the door of a win. Like, they are so close for weeks now. Like, everyone they're playing, like, you, you, like for, I can't know how long. I'm like, you know, they're improving. They could have won that one. They could have won that one. This is really the time to find out because the road warriors of Nola Gold are coming for a W. If they get a W this week, oh my, does it set up the last game of the season with them in New York. Like, what a script to write for that last game. So for me, when you're looking at this one, I think Nola get it done. I think there's something at a team that still has something to play for. You saw that a bit in the LA game. Um, you know, that they had, this was do or die for them, where LA it's not. And I think you could see a little bit of the fight and the mentality of the way they played. If Nola can carry that across again, um, I think it puts them in great stead and they get the win. And, and one thing I didn't touch on in the breakdown of um, of the LA Nola game earlier in the show that I did want to give credit for is Nola's defense. I, I think in the last five, six weeks, it's been improving game on game. Dirksen touched a little bit afterwards in his interview with you as well that, you know, there's the Golden Shield or the Nola Shield or whatever they, they're calling their defense. The way they defended LA in the 22, you know, fair play to them. And I think they'll need to bring that in Seattle. But I think that sort of defensive mindset and mentality on the road is how you win games. There you have it. That is the preview of round 17. I mean, there's some good games, good matchups, and uh, yeah, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a good one, mate. I think that's about time to wrap this show up. For everyone listening, thank you so much for the support. As always, keep checking out our social media content on Instagram at The American Rugby Show, on Twitter at The Am Rugby Show, pumping out videos. These breakdowns are individualized. The Gillies try of the week. The best bits from our State of the Unions, our interview clips are always dropping on there. Our following's growing. Keep supporting it. We're loving all the engagement. At the same time, a reminder that the video version of this show is always available on our YouTube page at The American Rugby Show. 
or at the Rugby Network. We're dropping the State of the Union later in this week. We are trying to have the one and only Rob Hoadley back on the show to touch base after the England game and see what's going on in the Eagles camp before they take on Ireland this weekend. And we're going to try and get a US Eagle on as well. So stay tuned. Lots more to come. Lots more interviews. There'll be more State of the Unions with some MLR players as well. Todd is already on the gillies. I'm signing off for the day. It's time to get back to coaching and get LA up and ready to roll this weekend. Thanks again. Peace. Lastly, a big thank you for this week's show, which was brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.